Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And I'd like to start reading in a few moments from verse 22. Two weeks ago, we started a series called The What Jesus Says series. The What Jesus Says Through the Gospel series. Have you ever seen these armbands? that people used to wear. And what did the armband, you know, just that little, you know, um, what were the letters on that armband that kind of said that, what would Jesus? Ah, that's right. And people, I, I must say, I never really wore those, but I've seen people wear them. What would Jesus do? And so people walked around with these armbands and Oftentimes, it would remind them about what Jesus would do in a certain circumstance, and then they would model their lives after that. Have you also seen the stickers on the cars of people? You know, um, you know what would Jesus do? Or there's some other stickers on the Christian cars. I never really had the courage to put one of those stickers on my car because I'm too afraid that I may not represent Jesus correctly. And then I've got one of those Christian stickers on the car. You know, and after every now and then when I look at Lucy, you know, and I say, Lucy, I like your car. She says, I'm single, and I can afford to ride this uh, convertible car. And she knows that secretly I I'm sinning because I would like to have a car. And the Ten Commandments says that I must not do that. But you see, you know, uh, uh, I'm too afraid, I'm too afraid to put a sticker on because my driving may not be that exemplary in nature. Of course, Lucy, I know that yours is. Absolutely. There we go. You know, so those, all of those things that you and I put on our hands, on our cars and all that, if you put it on, make sure that you represent Christ well. But my friends, you know, uh, this series that we have embarked on, which is called the What Jesus Says series, is to find out just what Jesus would say to you and I in the particular circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I went one day over uh, the last two weeks, how many times you sat back and when you needed to make a decision, whether you actually asked Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you saying to me about this decision that I need to make? And so we're doing a series and we're looking at some topical situations in the Gospels of what Jesus said. Now, others may tell you to do certain things. You may even tell yourself that you want to do that in that particular circumstance. But we have to take a step backwards and we actually have to ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus saying to me about this? 
And the most beautiful thing is that God speaks to us through the Bible, through the scriptures. And so with our daily reading and also our daily study of the word of God, you will start to hear Jesus speak to us. The introduction to the series is on the webpage, and you can go and listen to it um, again. One of the most precious things that Jen and I experienced in our six years being here in Switzerland is the fact that God speaks to us. And God doesn't only speak to us, but he also speaks to you. And he will tell us things about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Practical things, like we looked at two weeks ago. What about worry? Jesus says in that passage we looked at that worry is sin. It's characteristic of the unbeliever. It shouldn't be characteristic of the believer. And I was challenged to put that um, in front of me and to say, Jesus, what about this situation? What about that situation? Well, we again find ourselves in another situation here in Scripture that I want us to look at. And I want to take another saying of Jesus. And I'd like us to look at the saying. Then I would like us to look at the context of the saying why did Jesus say this to the disciples? And then I would like us just to look at how the saying applies to our lives so that we can actually hear Jesus speak to us. And so if you would read with me, please, from Matthew chapter 14, and let's read from verse 22. And we're going to read up to verse 36. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I be not afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But he saw the wind. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. 
And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him. They begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. The saying that I would like us to look at is found in verse 27. And verse 27 says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you look at the scene here, you'll find out that it's been a hard day for the disciples. It began with the news of the beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus suggested to his disciples that they go over to a deserted place across the sea. Obviously, Jesus was aware of the circumstances the disciples found themselves in. They were grieving over John the Baptist's death. They had worked hard all day. When they arrived, they also found a crowd waiting for them. Isn't that the way it is? Whenever you're tired, there will always be another person that will be there for you to talk to. Instead of telling the crowds to leave, Jesus told them to stay. And I can imagine the disciples saying to Jesus, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? We're grieving within our hearts. We just want to go and we just want to leave. Jesus said, no, there is something more that we need to do. Even when we find ourselves in situations where we are discouraged, don't run away. Jesus may want to use that discouragement within your life to encourage others. And so we see that he does that. And um, we see that Jesus performs a great miracle. And he uses this, this, the disciples and he builds their faith. He strengthens them. He teaches them a number of things. But we see here that he ministers to the sick. Uh, he feeds those who are hungry. But then later in the afternoon, the disciples asked Jesus to send them away. And as the story goes, Jesus says to them, go. And he commands them to go into the ship and go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus, however, remains back on land, and what I love about Jesus is that he goes and he spends some time alone with the Father. In the meantime, the disciples had encountered the storm, and a strong wind was blowing against them, so that though they were trying to get to the other side, and all night they were rowing, the Bible says, they only found themselves in the middle of the sea. It was around three o'clock in the morning. And they were still rowing. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across at its widest point. These guys had been rowing for a while. That's a pretty easy sail if the winds are all right. But that night, the sea and the wind were both working mightily against the disciples. 
Matthew tells us here that the disciples were far from the shore and that it was early morning when Jesus, after praying, got onto the water and he approached the boat. Other versions of the Bible says it was early morning or it was the fourth watch, which would be around, it would be between three and six o'clock in the morning. And in John's version of the story, he says the boat had traveled some three to four miles. So the disciples who were tired before they got into the boat, have now spent most of the night trying to get eight miles. And they've only made it halfway. Do some of you feel like that sometimes? Initially, they were frightened, thinking that it was a ghost that was walking towards them. He assured them that it was only him as he came closer to them. And of course, they cried out, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And of course, there's only one guy among the disciples who would be so bold and impetuous to say that, and his name was Peter. And you'll find all the way through deep Peter's walking with Jesus, he was always the one who would step out, say things before he thought through the things that he needed to say. Are there some of us in, that, in the room like that? Of course. But I love his character because he was a man who was a little bit reckless with his faith. Meaning that if someone had asked him to go one mile, Peter would go five miles and not quite think about the consequence. And as a result, the church in the book of Acts was actually built around him for a good period of time because faith operated through this man. So we can criticize Peter for all that he did. But man, this man, God used mightily within the early church. And this is the man we find that as the disciples are getting tired and they're getting scared as this ghost-like figure starts walking towards them and they start to recognize it was Jesus when he spoke. Remember, it was dark. Remember, they were tired. It was not normal circumstances. And the only thing that they actually would see at a night like this, walking towards them, remember it was a very superstitious time for people. And even today, we come from Africa, superstition is huge. And so you can understand why the disciples said, is it a ghost? You just got to remember, let's put it into context, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And I wonder whether there was all kinds of ghost-like stories that was going around at this time. And during this time of being tired, here they have this figure that approaches them. This is the context 
that the disciples find themselves in. Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. This is the context of the verse. The context of the verse is placed in the context of what had happened within their lives. They got word that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Cousin of Jesus, someone that the disciples knew. It was something of a tragedy within their hearts. Jesus says to them within that context, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. They'd been ministering. They'd been doing all kinds of things. They were tired. Jesus says to the disciples in the context of their weariness, he says, take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. In the context where they had just experienced a great miracle, where they were a part of the miracle, Jesus used them to feed the 5,000. They've just come out of a huge victory within their lives. And we oftentimes know when we have just won a great victory, that's oftentimes when the enemy comes and he tries to discourage us. Jesus says to the disciples in this context, take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. In the context of them being on the boat, trying to get to the other side. They've become weary. They've become tired. They've become sleepy. They can't control what's going on. In the context of the uncontrolled circumstances within our lives, Jesus says to the disciples, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. But it goes further. In the context of a ghost-like figure walking towards them. I don't know what your childhood was like, but I know what mine was like. And oftentimes when we got together with our older cousins, my sister and I, who was 18 months older than I am, we would sit in the room, and it would be all of us together. I wouldn't encourage your children to do this, by the way. And while we were in the room, we would switch the lights off. And then we would start to tell stories, scary stories. Who of you can remember that? Ah, oh, okay. It's only the South Africans and the Scotsmen, it looks like. <laughs> Swiss do it too? No. <laughs> and we were telling these type of stories in the room. And there was always one smart aleck in the room who had thought two steps ahead. And he would scare the living daylights out of us. 
you know, and um, I remember that as a child and the ghost stories and you'd be afraid to go to bed and you'd say, mom, can I sleep with my brother or my sister because I'm scared? Well, why did you tell the stories? It was so much fun, but I'm so scared. I think the disciples found themselves in a situation. I wonder on the boat whether their gods were lifted and they were telling stories. They were talking about John the Baptist and then the reality hit home that, man, we could be drowning on the sea. And as they were talking about in the distance, they saw this ghost-like figure walking towards them. Now, I don't know about you, but that wouldn't sit that comfortably with me if I was them. <laughs> Within the context of all that had happened within their lives. My friends, when we find ourselves in a situation that we do not control, and even when there is certain circumstances and events that's walking towards us and the face of which we cannot see, there would be fear that will be arising within our hearts because oftentimes we've never been this way before. For Jenny and I and Chris, Ryan had already gone off to England after he finished high school, coming to Switzerland was very much an experience like this. We had never done it before. There were many challenges lying ahead of us. But the most amazing thing is that oftentimes when circumstances were approaching us and it had no face that was recognizable to us in my humanness, oftentimes my courage would fail me. Oftentimes, I would be fearful and there would be anxiety that surrounded my heart. But in those moments, invariably, when I got closer to the situation, I recognized the face of Jesus in it all. And this is what was happening to the disciples here. In this context, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Just some practical applications for us as we look at this passage of Scripture. How do we deal with these storms that come to us? How do we deal with the unexpected when it does arrive? You'll see here within the scripture that the passage of scripture says in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later, he was alone. The first thing that I think that we need to recognize within this passage is that after Jesus had spoken to them, he actually, verse 22 says, he made the disciples to get into the boat 
and to go ahead of him and to go to the other side. He made them. What you need to know is that Jesus is sovereign over the circumstances within our lives. He made them to get into the boat, to sail across the shore. Did Jesus not know that there was going to be a storm? He knew. <laughs> but he told them to do it. My friends, if there's one certainty within my life that I haven't doubted ever since we've been here in Switzerland, and the one certainty has been this, there's many things that I have doubted, but the one thing that I haven't doubted was that God told us to come here. That's a certainty, that sovereign call of God. It wasn't our call, it was his call. He said, go. Same way with the disciples, he said, go. My friends, when we have that certainty of the sovereign will of God within our lives, that helps us during the storms that we fail. Just because he sent us into the storm doesn't mean that there won't be any storms. Or let me rephrase it. Just because he sent us doesn't mean that there won't be any storms. Amen? But when he sends us, we know that he will be in the very midst of the storm. Now, I want to qualify this. Just because you're getting into trouble doesn't always mean that Jesus sent you into that situation. Amen? I want to make a differentiation here. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble and we can't say that it's the sovereign Lord who put us in that situation. Can we agree on that? But I believe that more often than not the circumstances that we find ourselves in, it is because the sovereign Lord sends us and puts us in that situation. Amen. As Christians. The book of Hebrews hears us out because he says he disciplines those whom he loves. And when we do not know whether it is God who put us in that situation or whether we put ourselves in that situation by making weak, poor, and bad decisions, if we don't know what it is, the Bible just says we just need to have the attitude that God is disciplining his children. And we throw ourselves on the mercy and on the sovereignty of God. A little bit of a theological lesson here this morning. But the fact is that Jesus sent them into that scenario and he put them in that place. So that's a very, very important truth for us to realize because what you declare as far as you being in that situation, oftentimes necessitates the steps that you take to deal with the situation. Much better just to say, God, I believe that you're in this situation with me. Would you please help me? And we see that the disciples do that. Secondly, Jesus was praying for them. He was sending them onto the water. Jesus didn't go with them. He actually withdrew 
and he was praying to the Father. Now, I think he just wanted to be refreshed himself. I think he wanted to spend time with his Father because he said he never did anything except consulting with his Father. So I think Jesus was just with his Father there, and they were having fellowship together. But I also believe that he was praying for the faith of his disciples at that moment. And he was praying, as he did for Peter later in the book of Matthew. He says, I'm praying that your faith would not fail. You see, we find ourselves in situations like this where we are tender, where things are going badly, even when we are sinful. And Jesus comes and he prays and he says to us, I have prayed that your faith will not fail. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That means he is praying for us right now. He's got that capacity. He is God. He is praying for you in your present circumstances that your faith will not fail. No wonder he could say, it is I. Take courage. And he could say, do not be afraid. But then, thirdly, we see that Jesus was present with them. He sent them ahead, and sometimes God will send us ahead, and we would feel that he's not there with us. He sends us ahead so that our faith can be strengthened. He sends us ahead that we would understand what faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things, not seen. And in this circumstance, they could not see Jesus. He wasn't with them. And so their faith started to fail. I know the other Gospels also give an account with it, but it does not add the account where Peter walks towards Jesus. And so we see here, within the account here, at first they are by themselves. But I want you to know that Jesus will not leave you indefinitely to struggle by yourself. We need to do that with our trouble, with our, our children sometimes. We just need to let them struggle by themselves for a little while. It builds character, it builds strength, it builds faith. But do not leave them by themselves too long. The Father doesn't do it. He steps in and then he helps. And we see Jesus do this with the disciples. And that's why when Jesus walked towards them on the water, when he says to them, take courage, it is I do not be afraid. It is very interesting that the phrase fear not, and one man counted it. He says it is repeated 365 times. Fear not. One for every day of the year. <laughs> and it is coupled I think 10 times when he says, fear not. And 10 times he says, it is coupled with, do not be discouraged. Fear and discouragement, it seems like they are sisters. Or brothers. <laughs> but when you go into the Greek, 
he actually says, he doesn't actually say it is I, he uses the odd expression, which simply means I am. You know, and, and, and so he says, take courage, I am, do not be afraid. And God is referred to the I am God from the book of Exodus all the way through. You'll find out that he identifies himself as the I am God. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, when God revealed himself as the Lord, as the I am, we see here that he, he gave Moses this revelation as him being the I am God, the God who is present. You see, my friends, God is definitely the God of the past because he covers our past. He is definitely the God of the future. But my friends, he is the I am God. That means he is the God who is present with us. And here to Peter and the other disciples, he identifies himself as the I am God. The God who is present with his people. Jesus not only stills the storm within their hearts and the circumstances on the outside, but he also uses the storm as a pathway to a greater revelation of himself. My friends, all circumstances that happen within our lives, the ultimate goal of every circumstance that you go through is that you would have a greater revelation of who God is. He wants us to no longer just focus on our first circumstances, on our needs, on our difficulties, on our struggles. He wants us to overcome that. But the greater principle is that we would know who he is. A greater revelation of the I am God. On this occasion, particularly of Peter, as Jesus says, come towards me. He recognizes who Jesus is as the I am 